welcome to Word Online. Hello, and welcome to The Life of Jesus. This is Series 1, Episode 6, The Joyful Visit of Mary to Elizabeth. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56, which we'll read in just a moment. We're in the middle of a very exciting story that Luke is telling us uh, concerning the events surrounding Jesus's birth. And it started two episodes ago, for those of you who've been following the story through, when the angel Gabriel, one of God's chosen messengers, appeared to a junior priest called Zechariah while he was serving in the temple in Jerusalem and told him that his aging wife Elizabeth, who'd never had children, never been able to have children, was going to bear a child in her old age and that he was going to be called John and that he would be a special messenger and a prophet in the spirit and power of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. In other words, shaking the nation and drawing them back to the living God. That was an extraordinary story in series one, episode four, from Luke chapter one, verse five onwards. And as we were hoping that that story would continue and we'd hear about the birth of John, then Luke deliberately brings in at that point the parallel story of the birth of Jesus by telling us about Mary, a woman living in Nazareth who was engaged to a man called Joseph and they were due to get married at some time soon. They weren't living together. They had no sexual relationship because that was not the ethical code or moral practice of the Jews. And Mary too experienced an angelic visitation just as Zechariah had done in the temple. Mary did in the humble and insignificant Galilean village of Nazareth where Gabriel appeared to her and revealed to her one of the most astonishing things you could ever imagine, that she, even before she was married or had a sexual relationship with anyone, uh, would have a child who would be conceived miraculously by God's supernatural power, and that his name would be Jesus, and that he was going to be known as the Son of God, and the successor of King David, and he was going to be some kind of a Messiah and Redeemer in Israel. This is the story of the last episode, and if you listen to the last episode, you'll remember all those details. So we've got two strands of the story. We've got Elizabeth and Zechariah in their home in a village in the Judean hills, in the centre of the country. And we've got Mary. We haven't got uh, much information about Joseph and where he fits into this yet. The revelation came to Mary first and uniquely. But we've got Mary in Nazareth, who is overwhelmed by the exciting news that she's heard about the baby that she's going to have. But she also hears from the angel that her relative Elizabeth is going to have a child as well. So in this episode, we see a very moving, wonderful human event when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth before either of these children is born. It's a wonderful story. Let's read it together. We're in Luke 1, 
verse 39 through to verse 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. There's something very wonderful about this story. Obviously, this is a story about women told in, a, in the context of a profound female communication between two relatives. Mary and Elizabeth. We don't know how close they were as relatives, but uh, family relationships were highly valued in ancient Israel and respected. And so they were part of the same extended family group. They could, they could have been cousins, as some people have suggested, but we're not specifically sure from the uh, original account what their relationship was. But there were strong family ties. And those ties were very evident here. As soon as Mary had heard this outstanding message from Gabriel that I just described to you and appears in the previous passage, as she hurried, she immediately decided to go and be with Elizabeth. There was a sense of excitement. There was also a sense, no doubt, in Mary's mind that she needed someone to talk to. And who else to talk to but Elizabeth, who was part of the same miraculous process. It was the obvious thing to do. She wasn't yet married. Joseph he wasn't yet involved in the story. She didn't know how Joseph would respond. We'll find out more about that from Matthew's Gospel in future episodes. But at this point, the story is about Mary and about Elizabeth. 
And so off she rushes to the Judean hills. She travels, um, I would estimate, something in the region of about 80 kilometres to another part of the country. And she goes to see Elizabeth purely on the basis of the revelation given to her by Gabriel that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. She wouldn't necessarily have had any other way of knowing that for certain. Now, when the two women meet, we have a very dramatic encounter because Elizabeth would not have known that Mary was coming and would not have known what had happened to Mary in Nazareth with the angel Gabriel. How could she possibly have known that? It was impossible. It had only just happened. And Mary was coming to tell her that very story and to share it with her and to ask for her support and to, to explore the future in conversation with her relative, her older relative, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth couldn't have known what had happened. She knew what was happening in her own body. She knew what had happened to her husband, Zechariah, in the temple. She knew that something amazing was happening and Zechariah would have been communicating to her by writing things down because you'll remember if you uh, listened to two episodes ago, episode four of series one, that uh, Zechariah uh, was not able to speak from the moment he left the temple until, uh, as we'll find out here, his son is born. But he would have communicated to Elizabeth the narrative. She'd have known what, what had happened in the temple, but she did not know uh, what had happened to Mary. So as Mary walked through the door, how could Elizabeth respond the way that's described here? Well, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and divine revelation came to us. She suddenly knew that her relative was also carrying a child who was going to be closely related to this child within her, not just through family ties, but through spiritual destiny and purpose. And so we read these extraordinary words, which says she was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 41, verse 42. And this is very remarkable. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you amongst women and blessed is the child you will bear. This all came out of revelation. God had revealed to her that Mary was pregnant and the child was a special child in Mary's womb, even though Mary's conception was very, very recent. And Elizabeth had also felt a tremendous stirring in her womb as her baby John as soon as Mary came, John stirred and moved in, in her womb. And there are certain things that cause uh, babies in the womb to, to be stirred. And uh, women who have experienced pregnancy know what those things are likely to be. But this was an extraordinary event because it was just the arrival of Mary that caused this excited agitation, this joyful agitation of this unborn child. This is a remarkable encounter. And they spent three months together. Three months. Three months to talk. Three months to pray. Three months to think. Three months to discuss the experiences they've had. Three months to encourage each other because both would have had an awareness 
that if their child is special and is called to some special mission, there'll be risk involved in that. There'll be separation from family. There'll be unusual things that happen. Their children, their sons won't be just helping around the family home and running the family business. They're going to be out on a divine mission, uh, the details of which the two mothers don't yet fully know. But intuitively, they know uh, what the direction is and what sort of things could happen. So they spent those wonderful three months together. This is a very, very special time in a woman's life just before her first child is born. But then we don't just have Elizabeth's incredible exclamation and statement about Mary, her prophetic statement. But then Mary speaks out her own prophecy and her own praise. It's a, this song, traditionally known by the church as the Magnificat. This is a Latin title from the a church in days gone by. This song, Mary's song, combines incredible praise with remarkable prophecy. She can see into the future some of the significance of these two children that are currently in the womb. And particularly, she speaks of her own situation and of the grace that God had given her. So I'm just going to quickly read it again. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Uh, ancestors. Just a few thoughts on this uh, remarkable prophetic prayer and pr song of praise. Salvation is promised. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. What Mary is doing is she's able to see across the years and see God has been merciful to the Israelites in the past who truly believed in him through difficult circumstances and good circumstances and through the trials of national life. God's mercy has been there. But that mercy is coming right into the present generation. So Mary has received that mercy and that grace and she feels that prophetically others are going to experience God's mercy and she prophesies mighty deeds he has performed mighty deeds with his arm so as she's both declaring what God has done in the past but also predicting what God is going to do in the future 
the prophetic element of this statement is predicting that through her son, who's currently in her womb, is going to be performing mighty deeds. He's going to be a miracle worker. He's going to perform amazing wonders. Even his coming into the world is a miracle in the form of the incarnation, the divine son of God becoming the human son of God, man and God together, the incarnation of Jesus, as we discussed in the last episode in more detail. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm and scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. So there's an interesting theme here. The humble are lifted up, people who are seeking God, looking for him, vulnerable, needing help, call out to him, receive his mercy. The proud are going to be scattered. The coming of Jesus will cause difficulty for those who resist him, who are self-sufficient, who are independent, who are proud, who are unbelieving but the humble will be lifted up. In verse 52, she mentions rulers. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Now, the story of Jesus is a story of a confrontation between Jesus and rulers. Even uh, in the time of Jesus' birth, we have King Herod the Great, who tries to exterminate Jesus by killing off all the babies in Bethlehem. We'll, we'll discuss that story very shortly in a future episode when we look at Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. And Herod the Great, very shortly after that, he dies. We'll see those in authority mentioned many, many times in the Gospels. We'll see the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. We'll see the Pharisees, the dominant religious group in Israel. We'll see them being on the wrong side of the arguments with Jesus. We'll see Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who's afflicted with terrible self-doubt when he's um, forced to make a decision. Is he going to crucify Jesus or not? A few years after he crucified Jesus, uh, he was relieved of his duty and exiled in Western Europe and died shortly afterwards. So the rulers of the world will ultimately submit to Jesus. There are some examples in the gospel story that I've just mentioned. And very, very significantly, and this is really the climax of what Mary speaks out. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, this is a very important statement. She mentions here Abraham. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that Abraham is the key character of the book of Genesis. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. There were no Jewish people as such before Abraham. He was living in a country which we now call Iraq. He was living in that area and he and his family were called to leave that area to travel a very long distance and God said to him that he would take him to a land that he would give to him and that he'd build a nation around him and that is the Jewish people and from the Jewish people there would be 
blessing coming out to all the other ethnic groups in the world, all the other nations, including my nation and the nations of most of my viewers and listeners, because most of you are not Jewish yourselves, like me. So what is she referring to in this amazing song uh, statement here, this prayer? Mary is thinking in her mind of many passages in the Old Testament, but the primary one that I want us to reflect on just very briefly is in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. And I want to read to you three verses from this chapter because this is a foundational text and prophetic promise of the whole Bible and the life of Jesus is a fulfillment of one of the key elements of this prophetic promise. So let's just read it and then I'd love to comment on it for just a moment. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Which turned out to be the land of Israel, by the way. And then verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In this passage, verses two to three, God promises three things to Abraham. He promises him a name, number one, a nation, number two, and to be a blessing, number three. So what is the name? What he means by name is a family. And he therefore is promising him indirectly a son. It's interesting at this point, Abraham did not have any children. And as the story goes on, he was not able to have children. His wife, Sarah, was unable to have children for a long period of time. And yet God said, I will give you a name. And he gave him a son. Subsequently, his name was Isaac, son of the promise, who carried the name of the family forward. So first promise, a name. Second promise, a nation. So through Isaac, God is saying there would be a nation, an ethnic group develop through uh, Abraham's son Isaac and his successors. His son was Jacob, who had 12 sons, and these formed the foundational uh, people for the Israelite nation. So God promised him a name, a nation, and a nation, of course, is people living in a land. So he promised him both people and a land, and that land was Israel, as we find out subsequently in Genesis. And then thirdly, and this is the point I want to emphasise now because it's the main thing that we need to think about here. He promised him that he would be a blessing in the world. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's interesting. Every ethnic group in the world will be blessed because Abraham had a son, which formed a tribal group, which formed a nation, which lived in a land and had faith in the living God of Israel. 
those people, from those people would come a blessing that would be a blessing to the whole world. And how did that happen? That happened through the coming of Jesus within that nation. And the message that Jesus brought was a message for the whole world, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the end of his life, he says to his Jewish disciples, go to all the nations of the world, preach the gospel, teach them, baptize them, let them become my disciples. We'll see more details of that in Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20, much later in our studies. But here, Mary anticipates that through her son Jesus, God is remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. And this promise in Genesis 12 is one of those foundational promises. There are others that we could add in as well. So here are some reflections, some thoughts on this remarkable passage. First of all, as in the last episode, I do need to emphasize Mary's outstanding faith. She simply obeyed God. She trusted him. She put God before Joseph. She didn't know whether Joseph would accept her as his wife, given this unusual pregnancy. The obvious interpretation of this to the community in general would have been that she'd had a sexual relationship with another man while she was engaged to Joseph, which was a horrendous sin, very shameful, would have led to uh, Joseph separating from her in a form of formal divorce even before they got married. That was the risk. But she showed faith. She trusted God. She was servant-hearted. She was willing to give up human freedoms, to be economically vulnerable. She was willing to travel. And she was willing to accept the social risk of engaging with and embracing this unlikely, miraculous pregnancy. Second reflection is this is an outstanding prophetic encounter between these two women. And indeed, Elizabeth's child John in the womb. The baby John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth was filled with the spirit. Elizabeth greeted Mary prophetically as if she already knew that there was a child within her womb. And Mary uttered this amazing song of praise that we've just been commenting on now. This huge prophetic anticipation of the significance of the coming of Jesus in this passage. And of course, as we open the pages of the gospel subsequently, we'll see how remarkably this is fulfilled. Some concluding comments would be to say that this passage honours and emphasises the importance of women, the dignity of women, and their role as mothers. The Bible consistently shows high respect for the role of women in general and for the role of women as mothers in particular. They're given real honour. They are nurturing life and nurturing faith. So if you are a mother listening to this talk, can I encourage you in your role 
as a parent and as a mother of your children, whatever age they are, whether you're pregnant with a child yet to be born. God sees your work, he honours it, and he has called you to nurture life and to nurture faith. Another interesting point is that this passage incidentally shows the significance and worth of unborn children whose value in many modern societies has been greatly reduced by the practice of abortion. But the unborn child John was able to respond to the presence of Mary coming into the home of his mother Elizabeth and his father Zechariah. And the Christian church, as it follows the scriptures, will always go down the path of honouring and protecting and serving and preserving unborn children wherever it has opportunity to do so. The final note that I want to leave you with is a note of praise and worship. Why not use Mary's song as a devotional song in your own devotions? Uh, it's one of several similar prophetic songs that appear uh, in the Gospels, and particularly in these early chapters. And I want to encourage you to take it to heart and use it to stir up your own devotion to Jesus Christ and to God's great mission of salvation, which is being launched in the world through these events that we are describing in this part of our teaching in series one. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.